my dear brethren and sisters, Moses, as the psalmist, opens his discourse with the words, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. This, dear brothers and sisters, is a reflective thought by Moses upon his life's work in service to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let us ponder for a moment upon these truths that these words express and then compare them with what we read here with the words contained in our first reading recorded in the book of Exodus. Lord, Adonai, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Moses addresses this prayer to Adonai, to his Lord, to his master, the, the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe, the sovereign Lord. He says, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Thou hast been our habitation. Thou hast been our refuge. Think on the troubles which befell Israel in Egypt. Think of the troubles which befell them in the wilderness. Think of the troubles which befell them as they journeyed to the land of Canaan. Yet despite all these troubles which befell them, Moses could rejoice and proclaim, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Moses, dear brothers and sisters, is not referring to the tabernacle in the wilderness, the place where deity would meet with the children of Israel, nor is he referring to the place where the Shekinah glory lodged above the mercy seat, within the veil. But here Moses uses that figured, figurative term just as Jesus used the term when he spake of Jerusalem, when Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathereth, gathereth her chickens under her wings, and he would not. In this case, they would not embrace the protective arm of the Yahweh name. 
David, in the ninth psalm, expresses a similar thought as contained here in the 90th psalm. And there David proclaimed, The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Moses reflects upon the creative work of Yahweh. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Ponder the time when Moses refers to there being no earth. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world. Think of the implications here. Forget about the Big Bang theory. Forget about the nanosecond after the Big Bang we can safely put that aside. And, dear brothers and sisters, despite all of this, Moses says in an unequivocal voice, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. There is no compromise in this statement. I wonder, dear brothers and sisters, whether we speak with such uncompromising words when we speak to our friends and neighbours on the word of God. Truth is absolute. You know, dear brothers and sisters, there is no need for timidity they cannot harm you or me. God is witness to our words. He is witness to our thoughts. He will give us the courage if we are prepared to trust him. But let us not think that we will have that support if we are in any way ambivalent. For James wrote, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Nevertheless, let us remember the loving words of our master to Peter, who when he walked upon the sea, seeing the tempestuous waves, feared that he would drown. And sinking, he cried out, Lord, save me. Our Lord's reply was one of love and encouragement. O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Moses, in the psalm, turns our attention to the events in Eden, to the great apostasy 
led by the serpent. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of men. Yes, deity was faithful, for man would return to the earth from whence he was taken. For thou turnest man to destruction. Yet deity had in mind man's salvation. He desired that the earth be filled with the knowledge of his glory and that this knowledge should reside in man. But deity required men of faith to be vessels of honour. However, man, having been made very good, fell from grace. For deity had declared concerning the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And although this was the result of the judgment laid upon our first parents, deity holds out his hand to those who will respond to the divine overtures. Thou sayest, Return, ye children of men. So the offer of salvation is extended to all mankind. Moses next considers the passage of time. For a, for a thousand years in thy sight are as but yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. The Apostle Peter provided an encouragement to the early believers who were growing tired of waiting for the return of Christ declared, But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as but one day. Yes, time with God is as nothing. It is we who experienced the passage of time. Adam, despite his length of days, did not exceed a day with God. He died and was returned to Mother Earth. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep in the morning. They are like grass that groweth up. In the morning it flourishes, and it groweth up, and in the evening it is cut down and withereth. Deity through the prophet Isaiah provides those words of comfort which we find in the 40th chapter. And at verse 6, the chapter deals with the work of John the Baptist, and both advents of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us commence at verse, to read at verse 1. 
And, brothers and sisters, I cannot resist but to luxuriate in this beautiful chapter, in the sentiments that it expresses in these verses. For having passed the judgment upon all people, deity speaks of the coming of Messiah. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So, dear brothers and sisters, let us bathe and bask in these beautiful words expressed here. Comfort ye. Comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. What a wonderful, wonderful position to be in, dear brothers and sisters. Her iniquity is pardoned, her warfare is over. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Then we read, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Think, dear brothers and sisters, of this image of God manifested in the flesh. As Jesus walked among the people, as he wore the robes which stretched down to cover his feet. And there at the hem of his garment was that ribbon of blue. It was there to remind the Jews that their feet should not stray from the law of the Lord their God. And in Christ's case, they never did. Then the voice said, Cry! And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. James, in his epistle, reminds the Jews of God's judgment upon the rich, in that he is made low, because of the flower of the grass he shall pass away. But blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him.
So, dear brothers and sisters, the work of Jesus continues to be defined by the prophet Isaiah. Verse 9 of that 40th chapter. And I said we would luxuriate in this chapter because it's a beautiful chapter and it comes and stems from that Psalm 90. O Zion that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountains. O Jerusalem that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold, you are God. Think, dear brothers and sisters, the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14 is manifested in these words. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. God manifested in the flesh. The Apostle Paul writes, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. The Master himself declared, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. God manifested in the flesh. Israel ought to have anticipated the coming of Messiah, but they were engrossed in politics and shut their eyes to the signs of Christ's coming. Thus the prophet leads us on into the work of the Messiah. Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, and this is what we are interested in, brethren and sisters, behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and shall carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. What a wonderful pen picture, brothers and sisters, we have listened to from the prophet Isaiah. And what a wonderful testimony is given concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. The passage requires very little by way of explanation. It paints a wonderful picture of the kingdom age and yet it also refers to Christ's former work, his work of salvation. Returning then to Psalm 90, Moses picks up the theme of man's limitations and of God's response to his waywardness. Thus he continues in verse 7. For we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath we are troubled. Moses doubtless reflects on the many troubles which the children of Israel experienced throughout their journeyings in the wilderness. 
and in particular, the difficulties they encountered with Balak. He continues, verse 8, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance, for all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Didi spoke of their stiff nakedness, of their disobedience, of their rebellious ways. Then again, when we think of the elders spoken of in Exodus 33, we might well wonder why, when having been afforded the privilege of witness and witnessing the God of heaven, it says God of Israel was paved with work of sapphire stone under his feet, and as it were the body of heaven in clearness, that they, the elders with the children of Israel, should fall away so quickly to worship the image of the golden calf. We may well ask, what is it that they witnessed? Was the image they witnessed a calf? It has been suggested that it was, that this was a copy of the cherubic image seen in the mount. For, they say, that from Ezekiel 1, verse 7, the living creatures, or the cherubim, had the sole of a calf's foot. But, dear brothers and sisters, it's also described as having the appearance and the likeness of a man. But we also know, princesses, that the Kuribic image had four faces. The lion, the ox, the eagle, and a man. So it may be a composite image. Just maybe a composite image, and this is just one of the images that is being seen here, which... Israel created an image too. So we ask, so why produce an image of a calf? And we ask the question, were they hopping back to Egypt? What was influencing their thoughts overall? Was it a Kerubic image? Or an image that's seen in Egypt? If we think of the cherubim in the Garden of Eden, we tend to consider someone able to wheel a sword every which way. We tend to think of a man-like figure, just like the cherubim described in Ezekiel. We do not tend to think of a calf being provided with such ability. Of those who said the ox was part of the composite image. Furthermore, Isaiah likens the seraphim as having six wings, whose face and feet were covered with two pairs of wings. Yet Isaiah hears them praising the name of Yahweh, crying one to another, 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What wonderful imagery is depicted here of deity in glory and majesty. The very reason given by deity in Numbers 14 for withholding the privilege of the children of Israel entering into deity's rest was because of their unbelief. Whilst here in Isaiah the gospel message is proclaimed by the seraphim, the deity we recalled had declared, as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of Yahweh. So the imagery used in Isaiah projects us forward in time to the kingdom age, to a time when God is all and in all, when the earth is full of the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. We learn that it was Moses who desired to see the glory of the Lord and made his request known unto Yahweh. Thus Moses says in Exodus 33, verses 18 and 19, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And Yahweh said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before thee, and will be gracious unto whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Was this what Moses anticipated? To see Yahweh? To hear a proclamation of the name of God? Nevertheless, the goodness of God is the message which deity desired to convey to all mankind. Thus we read of deity's response in Exodus 34 verses 5 to 7. And Yahweh descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. And Yahweh passed by before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Here then was Deity's response to Moses' request to show me thy glory.
Consider our master's response to the request of one who addressed him as Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? On the face of it, dear brothers and sisters, it seems a very innocent statement. Good master. It might even be construed as an act of submission, as an act of meekness, as an act of humility. But Jesus perceives the true meaning behind the salutation. Good master. It was a test of Christ's humility. Thus he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? And before the rhetorical question could be answered, Jesus continues, There is none good but one. That is God. Having put the facts to the adherent, he declares, But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Yes, Despite Christ's obedience unto death to his Father's will, he accepted no honour from man, for he knew what was in man. Moses now, Psalm 90, Moses turns to reflect upon the final tears ascribed to all mankind. Verse 10. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labour and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Time is a precious commodity. So what counsel? What wisdom? Let us reflect upon these words. You know, dear brothers and sisters, we have frail minds. And because of this, deity required the Jews to wear phylacteries. They contained the law and to bind them on their arms and on their forehead so that as they worked and as they thought, their actions and minds would be controlled by the law of God. Thus thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, that ye may lay up 
these my words in your hearts and in your soul. No good having the image here and here needs to be here. Teach them, your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest in the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up, that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which Yahweh swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon earth. Thy will be done. Brothers and sisters, this is what God requires. A knowledge, isn't it? Come back to that phrase all the time. Knowledge of the glory of God. Heaven upon earth. For if he shall diligently keep all these commandments which I command you to do them, to love Yahweh your Elohim, to walk in all his ways, to cleave unto him, then will Yahweh drive out all these nations from before you, and ye shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Here is the real blessing which deity provides for all those who serve him. With that, dear brothers and sisters, we'll close our remarks with Moses' plea to the Almighty. And we'll read to the end of the psalm. For he asks, Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of Yahweh our Elohim be upon us. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands Establish thou it.